Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio, another true story from True Story FM. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. suicide 3.5 times more often than women, and as a country, we lose 22 veterans a day to suicide. However, talking about mental health, particularly for men, can still be a hard subject and is surrounded by stigma. Several years ago, razor brand Harry's decided to focus their social impact efforts specifically on men's mental health. In this episode of Cause Talk Radio, I speak to Maggie Hero, head of social impact for Harry's, about that journey. We talk about Harry's 1% model in which they direct 1% of sales to charitable organizations, the soul searching they had to do around adopting men's mental health as their signature cause, how they focused efforts to serve black men specifically, and the complexities that COVID has brought to this initiative. Well, hello, Maggie, and welcome to Cause Talk Radio. Hi, Megan. It's good to be here. Awesome to have you, and uh, nice to be chatting with you again. I feel like it's been a while. It's been too long, and probably COVID notwithstanding. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I've wa- I've long wanted to talk to you about your fantastic work around men's mental health needs. So last year, Harry's made a commitment to support men's mental health. Why did you guys dis- decide to tackle this issue? It's kind of a. I feel like it's a, a tricky one. It's definitely a tricky one and one we put a lot of thought into, I think, over the past few years. So I think we, we technically I think we came out publicly supporting men's mental health um, a couple years ago, but it's been in the works for a while now. And one of the reasons why I think we got here is a true evolution of our social impact program. Harry's has always had a 1% model where 1% of all of our sales goes back to nonprofit organizations. And throughout the years, it's taken on many different shapes and forms. Um, and you know, when I got to Harry's a couple of years ago, we were giving to organizations that were promoting positive masculinity, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is everything that we stand for as a brand. And we hope that you see that in our brand. Absolutely. Um, but you know, in terms of a cause area, I think it was really tricky to try to communicate externally. So mm. we had to do some thinking, you know, like how do we actually rally around a cause and what should that cause be? Um, and so we went back to our partners actually that were working in the space at the time who were serving men. And so that's where we kind of needed to start. It's like, what's the challenge with men today? Is a men's grooming brand like what what is the challenge for men? And you know, I think as you begin to get like dig deeper, as you begin to dig deeper into the masculinity space, all of that, I think what we found just over and over again was that folks were like men's mental health, getting mm. access to care. Uh, the barriers to getting care, uh, the stereotypes out in the world, all of those things come into play with uh, not allowing men to get access to the mental health care that they need. Um, and so, yeah, that's really where we where we sort of started to refine and think about this a little bit more and start to own a cause area. And we found a few initial partners in the space and started talking about it. Um, and we really just have sort of built from there. Um, so that it's been about a three-year process. Um, I was asking a lot of hard questions along the, along the way. I think we did the really healthy like checks and balances internally. Do we want to talk about a cause? How do we feel internally that we do with our own team's mental health? Um, also talking about mental health 
and suicide as a brand, as a, as a brand that sells razors. Are we comfortable with that? Um, and so these were all of, I think, the really healthy questions that came up along the way. Like, are we willing to take the risk here? Um, and we just, once you start to dive into the research and, and in the space, like men die by suicide 3.5 times more than women. Mm. Um, it's the second biggest killer in the U.S. for wow. men age 35. We lose 22 veterans a day by suicide. Like all of these things just started to make a lot more sense. And we felt like it was worth it. Um, despite, I think, you know, some of the challenges. I'd also say we probably, well, I think, we'll, hopefully we'll get into this, like mental health has been such, at, like has come to the forefront during COVID and oh, really absolutely. Good conversation, but, but it wasn't necessarily a few years ago. So I think that was like a little bit of um, an interesting thing for us to tackle. Like, how do we actually talk about this externally when we didn't see too many other brands in the space there? Of course, there are folks doing it and doing it well, um, but there weren't too, too many folks. So like, how do we actually break through and make it make sense for us and for our brand and for our customers? Can you talk, can you give us the timeline a little bit? So you said it took you three years to launch this. And I think you launched it in like January of 2019 publicly, but was it three years before that or two years before that? And then you've been talking about it since 2019. Yeah. So for the, basically we've been working on this loosely for the past two and a half three to three years. Got it. But I think that's important for people to know because it's like sometimes people are like, oh yeah, we're going to talk about this and we're going to go out tomorrow and talk about it. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it takes some time. And I think it's great that you guys dug into the research to figure out, to connect with your nonprofit partners and be like, what is the issue? And I think you actually did hit it. Well, for multiple reasons, I think you did hit that issue at the right time because people were just starting to talk a little bit more about mental health in the last couple of years from a corporate social impact perspective. And so taking the men's piece of it, I think was really smart for your brand. So, you know, you probably did have to go out and do it a little bit more proactively than what you were seeing in the marketplace, but I think you hit it correctly. And now with COVID, it's kind of like, well, yeah, this is kind of an issue, you guys. So since 2019, you've donated $5 million to a bunch of nonprofits. You have said that you referenced your nonprofits earlier. Can you let us know who, which were the partners that you selected and, and why did you choose them? Maybe just briefly. Yeah. So we have, uh, right now we have, uh, we operate in the U.S. and the U.K. So we have U.K. partners and um, U.S. It. partners. We have five partners um, right now in the U.K. and then nine uh, in the U.S. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. And so that, what we were actually looking for was when we were doing that visioning and decided, okay, men's mental health. Then it was like, who do we, who do we actually target here? Because we mm-hmm. could, you know, we, we could go after anyone. But there were some populations that started to bubble up more and more. So for us, it was LGBTQ folks, for sure, who suffer from depression and anxiety four times more likely. There's some recent research, like uh, within the past year, folks who are gen- um, are non-binary or identify as trans are, uh, you know, f- I think it's 60% have attempted suicide in the past year. Like yeah. there's some stark um, sort of statistics that tell us like there is a challenge here within these populations. So LGBTQ folks, um, for us veterans, for sure, as I mentioned before, um, young men because of um you know, it is the highest, it's the second biggest killer in the US. Um, uh, the biggest killer in the UK for men under 45. Um, and then, yeah, so all of these populations started to, started to pop up for us and felt like, okay, 
great, let's go after certain populations and let's find partners that do this work really well for those um, for those folks. And so that's how, kind of how we had to start. And then it got really interesting once we got into onto like the pro- project proposals and what folks were coming to us with. We really started to see partners who are on like the crisis management spectrum. So our partner with the Trevor Project, Trevor, mm-hmm. Crisis Text Line. Mm-hmm. And then we saw like a lot of um, proposals come through that were so interesting that, that were preventative. Um, our partnerships with with Futures Without Violence, for example, trains coaches around the country. How do you identify signs of trauma with the, those that you're that you're coaching and young men and boys? Um, how do you talk to them about their well-being? How do you actually do social emotional check-ins with them? And what does that look like? Um, through that partnership, we're reaching 100,000 folks, um, 100,000 men this year. Um, so the, the, they're, all of a sudden, it was like, okay, the populations were really refined. And then it felt really good to sort of go after many different aspects of what we know as mental health care. It's crisis management, but it's also preventative work and then sort of like everything in between too. And you kind of need it all. I mean, honestly, we're not at a place where you can just do prevention and that's enough. Totally. And we're finding even like there's just such interesting models that work out there today. Yeah, talk about some of those. I want to hear kind of what what were some of the creative yeah. ways that you activated with some of these nonprofit partners? It sounded like you had a lot of really great ideas. What did you end up? What'd you do? Well, those are nonprofit partners' ideas. We would never <laughs> take credit for that. Like, we're going to take credit for this work because, <laughs> no, just teasing. <laughs> well, luckily, we do get to do it together, which is really yes, fun. And interesting. Indeed. And, and it is a true collaborative process. Hopefully, our partners feel that way. But we do spend months talking about like what's the right opportunity for you right now and what's going to change you know, what's going to change your organization for the better and what's a new, innovative, cool idea. Um, you know, we, we oh, talking about like the different things that we were doing. One of the programs that stood, stood out to us, which we served about 90 something thousand, um, young men was our partnership with do something.org mm-hmm. where we did more of an awareness-based campaign, but it drove folks directly to resources. And the number that 90,000 is folks that actually took advantage of those resources. Mm. Um, so do something ran a campaign with their, with their young folks that, um, asked people to check in with one another and do a mental health note, send them a mental health note. Mm-hmm. At first, it was an actual piece of paper that you would cut out. Uh, and then from there, um, moved into more virtual once COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but people were talking about their mental health and what are they going to do to prioritize it? And then it would drive you to a robust resource page where you can actually get the help that you need right then and there. That action piece, I think, is important because, yes, you can have awareness and that is also important. But I mean, A, from a measurement standpoint, like having an engagement and then B, you know, just from the like, yes, it's interesting to be aware of it. But, you know, to really make a dent in the issue, you got to have that engagement piece. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what you were talking about originally, which is that mental health is a hard topic to talk about in general in this country. And with men, I think it's trickier. So how did you find effective ways to engage with those consumers around a tricky topic? Like what what were the communication messages that you found stuck? Yeah. So I think that we we learned so much through this process and talking to our nonprofit partners. First, when we talked to them, what was interesting about finding out our reach numbers and goals is that, you know, you can talk to a partner about their programs and they might be serving, you know, 500,000 people a year. 
but generally about 70% of the time or 70 or most of the time, 70% of the folks that are reaching out to them are women. So we knew already we were dealing with (laughs) a smaller percentage of folks, right? So this was like, that was an interesting learning. Like, okay, great. Men don't reach out for help all that much, right? That's what we were learning. Like, okay, so then how do we reach them where they're at? So I think that was really the, the hack is like, how do you get to them? So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for example, partnering with an organization like A Call to Men that has access to training men all over the country, whether you are in the NFL or you are in middle school, you're hearing about how masculinity is tied, um, how the man, how being in the man box, how the socialization of men is not allowing you to get access to the care that you need. So I think that was truly it. It was like trying to find them at the right places, actually. Yeah, when they're like receptive to hearing a message like that. Oh, that's interesting. So it's almost like a timing and like a time and a place thing, like um, advertising on ESPN, maybe not, you know, but um, maybe if they're in a platform where they're like just a teeny bit more open and vulnerable, that might be the better place. Absolutely. And I think along the way we learned like, yes, that, 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 that was the timing was really important. And then, um, through our branding and messaging, what we we've always known is that like men don't like being told what to do. If they don't, I don't like being told what to do. (laughs) Right. And I think, right. So like telling someone how to feel, how to act, you should be this way. Like none of that is ever going to track. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's a lesson that we had learned a long time ago and focus on focusing on progressive masculinity and really talking to men throughout the years. It's like, these are the things that we know that you need to be providing resources and opt in and not telling men how to act, how to be. Um, um, all of those things I think came, it was, it was just so useful um, and you know, making sure we execute against this project. One of the things you said earlier, Maggie, was when you were considering tackling this topic, you had to look internally and say, are we supporting our own employees in this way? So what did you have to do? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Were you guys just like, had everything done in spades? Did you have to make some changes? Like, did you focus any of this messages towards your own employees? Like, how are they involved? Uh, I think, I think everyone is okay with saying that, like, we weren't exactly... You weren't perfect? No. (laughs) And I think what's really tricky is that, like, there, it's really, it's really hard to be perfect in this space. Mental health looks different for everyone. Totally. So there, it was really hard to actually find a gold standard in this space that because it has some, so much to do with your company values and how you talk to your team and all of those nuances, like it really, at the end of the day, you, end of the day, you just have to ask like, are we good at this? Is this like internally, are we good at this? And we decided we were good enough to go external yeah. and take on this cause. But then I think what's happened, you know, in during COVID and after the murder of George Floyd and, and you know, so much of what happened led us to try to take it to our team a little bit more, this theme mm. of mental health. And like, how can we really be more supportive? We were, we like all of us were shifted into this virtual environment, which was unfamiliar to us. And it, um, you know, I think one of the things that we needed to do is ask ourselves, like, can we put, be pushing the boundaries a lot more? Mm. And I'd like to think it was like our external work that we had done out in the world that had led us to get to this place where we could easily turn this on. So making the case for our mental health days. Um, so when we were moved into the remote environment, um, we had two mental health days um, per month for folks. That's that sort of worked for our team, but then we decided to take more time off, like that were scheduled. We had 
a week in the summer. We'll have two weeks off in the winter. Mm. Um, and then we decided to push the boundaries a little bit more on for therapy. Can we actually provide free therapy for our team? So now we have, uh, you have four free sessions with the therapist. If that's something that you want, we partner with a uh, company called Alma They make sure that they're cultural competent, um, uh, crisis counselors and counselors at hand that you could talk to. Um, and that was really important to us. So it's like policies and perks and procedures, all of that good stuff to make sure it's on point. We also created a mental health guide. So we were creating, like we were giving all of these benefits and perks, but like, how do you actually find them mm. in one place? Uh, so just like organizing it for our team, having it be yeah. one place. And then I think lastly, which is like harder thing to sort of quantify but I think it's there for us is that our leadership was really bought in on mental health by this point, right? Like understanding that this is a topic and this is hard to talk about. And even, um, you know, getting it in front of team meeting and saying things like things are not okay right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not feeling great about the state of the world. I'm not personal, personally feeling great. And our leadership all of a sudden could say these things. I think because we had been doing, we had been talking about mental health. We had talked about suicide and team meetings. We talk about like, the disparities in different communities. I think like this was just a building block for us and we were able to talk about it in a different way and hopefully like an honest way with our team Yeah, that made it so that we weren't just like following a trend or something else. It, it did feel a little bit more real, I think, and I hope. Yeah. Well, you said a couple of things that are, I think are interesting. Number one, you guys have done a lot of research in this space. So you understand kind of what the core issues are. And I think that can't be understated. Like, you know, to your point, if you just went to leadership and you're like, we need to talk about men's mental health. And they're like, eh, like, yeah, OK, like it's a little fluffy. But if you're able to go to them with data about suicide and, you know, preventative measures and things that are happening out in the world, they're like, oh, my gosh, like I didn't maybe they didn't realize what the scope of the issue was. So, I mean, I think that's a huge piece of it. And then the second part that you were just talking about is reducing the stigma. Like if you talk about something all the time, I feel like I've taken that approach with my parenting. You know, I like talk a subject to death and they're like, OK, fine. You know, like it's not a big deal deal to bring it up because if you talk about it all the time there you know it's people are more comfortable being like oh yeah you know that thing you were talking about like here's another little nugget so i think that that's really important so thank you for sharing all of the work that you've done one thing i wanted to circle back on really quickly is that you've also done some stuff recently to support mental health care access for black communities so can you talk about that and what you did i think it, i'm assuming it was in the wake of george floyd's death and everything that yeah. was happening can you talk a little bit about that specifically yeah, it was something that was already on our mind too. And I think if, if you hadn't gone through the first couple of months of COVID and like looked at the folks that were disproportionately affected and saw that they, you know, they were black or brown and that was already happening and us feeling like we need to do more here. And then of course, um, you know, after the murder of George Floyd and everything that happened afterwards, which was our, all, of course, the crisis isn't going on forever, but came to head at that time. I think for us, you know, we really wanted to show our commitment. We really wanted to make sure that folks knew where we stood and that we didn't want to remain silent on this issue. However, giving to, you know, an organization that supports the Black community that isn't within our focus area just didn't feel right and authentic we knew that we couldn't just like blindly write a check for someone who we would never have a relationship with in the future, who we couldn't give to in the future. And then, you know, we could recognize because we had been working in the mental health space for so long, I think, you know, what Black folks were experiencing was trauma. Like absolutely what folks were experiencing was trauma. And so I think for us, that felt like the right fit. 
And it was hard. We needed to take our time. We needed to say, this is our commitment, but we haven't chosen our partners yet. And it took us a few months to do that. But for us, it was absolutely worth it. Um, we have, you know, four partners in the uh, in the UK, and then we have uh, three partners in the US. We gave five hundred and sixty-ish thousand dollars of the conversion rate um, to those organizations that are truly supporting the community right now, um, and that just felt right right to us. And we're excited to take that to the next level. And how do we continue to support that work? And how do we make it so that Black communities is one of those uh, key populations we serve, just like veterans, LGBTQ folks, the rest? That's actually going to become a new pillar for us, which is exciting. That is exciting. And I, I give you props for taking the time to investigate because you weren't one of the companies that wrote a $5 million check to the Black Lives Matter Foundation that has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter, the organization, you know, and you didn't make that mistake. So good job. <laughs> that was a real thing that happened. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it was uncomfortable because, you know, people wanted to do something and they were probably looking at you, Maggie, and being like, who are we going to write this $500,000 check to? And you're like, hold on, people. I don't know. I will find out. But it, I cannot tell you today. So I'm sure that was stressful, but kudos to you for kind of taking your time and making sure you pick the right partners. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We're excited. We're excited to see where these, where these partnerships go and how we can continue to support in a very real long-term way. Maggie, it's been fantastic to talk to you again. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Cause Talk Radio. Where can people learn more about Harry's and all the great works you're doing around men's mental health online if they'd like to do that? You can go to harrys.com, of course. And on our about page, you'll see our social mission there. You'll see all of our partners and the work that we're doing together. Um, and also if you follow us on social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, you'll hear all about what we're doing um, and in terms of our social mission. I will put that in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. Maggie, thank you again for all the work that you're doing to support men's mental health in the world and look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Megan. 